Welcome to Bleed TV, the podcast for the fans of the best shows of TV. I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And tonight we're talking about Game of Thrones, episode 501, The War to Come. Uh, this was directed, uh, I believe his name is Michael Slovis. And what do you think? I think that's right. And it was uh, written by... D&D, right? D&D boys. The usual. But uh, my, uh, I'll let you start. What were your thoughts? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's mainly setup episode, which they pretty much do every season. So you kind of get used to the first couple episodes, just kind of putting you in place where every character is. And there's so many characters in this show. They obviously even couldn't show us some of the characters yet. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I really liked it. Um, you know, I, I remember watching The Walking Dead and having a coming out with a bang, and it was just explosive one thing after another. And this one, it's really not one that's set up for that. I do like, they did have some moments I really enjoyed, but I did like how they went ahead and tried to touch as many characters, kind of give you a heads up where they are, you know, so you know where to start from. And they had some great, great scenes and dialogue with each one of them and really set up some really good, uh, interesting things that are going to be happening in the past. So as a setup, I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, I think it, you know, was solid how it ended. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I think it kind of set up who the main characters are going to be. Like, I see a major focus on Jon Snow, uh, the Cersei battle with Marjorie, uh, and what appears to be some of the uh, religious people moving in. But and no doubt Danny as well coming into mix big time. And Danny's obviously got a huge situation on her hands. But you know, like I said, we didn't even see Arya. You know, that could obviously be a major character. Uh, Jamie didn't have much to do. Um, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the beautiful thing is, is that those are little individual characters that have their own little things going on, and they had plenty of that in the past seasons. I think, just like I was saying in the preview cast and how last season, we're finally getting what looks to be characters collide that have never collided before, and that's what's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really different than the last four seasons. Yeah, and that's the show at its best when the the characters collide, when they meet at moments where you didn't expect it. You know, they cross paths, and it's like you really get the fireworks when that happens. Oh, there's no doubt. Let's know. Let's go ahead and get right into the rundown. Um, the opening season, um, opening season, opening scene, um, two girls walking in the creepy woods. Uh, you know, they don't really give you any clues who they are, but you kind of figure it out as soon as they start talking about my daddy owns this land and this and that. And, the braids know. in her hair. Uh, that's all you yeah, needed. It's, uh, I, it took me a little bit, but as soon as they got into the witch's little shack there, uh, I was like, okay, we know who we're dealing with now. You know, uh, this, they did a great job of finding this girl and how she acted it was like cersei you know not 2.0 it's like pre-cersei or whatever you want to call yeah, it you know? point 0.5 point 0.5 yeah point 0.5 there you go um <clears throat> but you know they bolt up in there and they walk right up on a creepy witch and uh you know startle her and sure enough in cersei form go ahead and just demand you know i want to know my future i want to know this or i'm gonna get you off this land you know yeah, yeah I- you know as of reading the books and stuff like that i had a certain idea what maggie the frog would look like this was far from it, honestly. From what you hear in the book, she's a toadstool, little tiny troll-looking thing. But they did a pretty good job of even explaining the fact that Cersei thought she was uh, three cat eyes with, you know, shark teeth or something like that. But but I like how it was played. I like the she sucked the blood out of her oh, I mean, it was a little more than suck. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, I need a taste. It was more like uh, I just got my favorite lollipop, you know. Yeah, a One lush. thing missing was the crunching of the nails, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Uh, I thought that was kind of, uh, you know. Um, I kind of didn't really get a clear... 
I even went back and replayed it, and I still didn't quite understand it. But she talked about, you know, there was a confusion of her only having three kids, but having Robert having 20. I kind of figured that out. But the part where she said, you know, your kids are going to be, was it shrouded in gold or gold thrown? I didn't catch that part. Did you? Did you? Okay, so it starts off with, when w- will I marry the prince? Okay, she's talking about Prince Rhaegar, okay, who is the, he's the last Targaryen prince, okay? And that's who she's planning on marrying. But when she says she'll be queen and she'll marry Robert is who they're talking about. Obviously, he has 20 children, 20 bastard children's children's. Um, and then Cersei has three. And then she says their crowns will be of gold and so will their shrouds. Meaning, and I don't think it comes out just right out and says that they're going to die before Cersei dies. But the fact that she's told her that she wouldn't like the news, I think means that Cersei's going to outlive her children. That's kind of what I got out of it. When you think of a shroud, I was thinking like a processional. Uh, it's what, a burial. You know, like burial how you're buried, you know, very monumental. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't sure. You know, I, I wasn't real clear on that audio when I listened to it, even when I listened to it twice. But um, well, we can definitely see it's definitely coming to fruition. You know, it's in the middle stages of it, as you would say. Right. This is the first flashback that I can remember on the show. Oh, yeah. They did a tiny bit in the first season. But it's kind of cool to see. You know, you kind of... Uh, get an idea of what like haunts Cersei oh yeah well I, I think it was a good way to set up this whole how things have been going and where they're going from here because it kind of lets you know that you know her daughter over there in Dorne could be in trouble her son on the throne's in trouble and she is basically feeling powerless you know um, and then of course it rolls right in the next scene where Cersei's walking up the stairs and this is at uh, Tywin's funeral and of course her being her usual self tells everybody they don't have to wait you know so she can have her moment uh you know and then they walk in there and i I just do not understand the rocks with the eyes painted on them i mean can you make the guy look any creepier i mean joffrey was bad enough and the thing of it is too i i felt like on tywin that the eyes were a little close in on each other on the nose a little tight so they they look a little bit (laughs) cross-eyed along with looking creepy yeah, you know, hey, Charles Dance was right, and like I predicted, he came back just to lay down for a death scene. You know, I, I felt good about that. I looked at my wife, and I was like, "Told you," and she's like, "What the heck are you talking about?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, never mind." I don't know. There was some fancy camera work there, possibly a yeah. little bit of a dummy laying there. I don't care. I I, I felt like I got it. You know, um, she uh, unloads a little bit on Jamie and says that you know basically you were the favorite and that he never wanted you in the night to, uh, guard or Kingsguard and uh, Kingsguard, yeah. And uh, you know he kind of just takes it, but he's just kind of she's just kind of badgering him a little bit, you know, making him feel a little worse right with Dad right there. Well, it, it wasn't this open in the book, but she blatantly tells him that it's his fault he's dead. She, he released Tyrion. And didn't deny it, obviously. Yeah, he didn't deny it. He didn't say he did, but he didn't deny it. Yeah, she picks right up on it, though. And and so, you know, secondhand, it is his fault that Tywin's dead. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he releases the old Tywin, and he goes up there and puts a couple bolts in him, you know, and that's all she wrote, you know. Uh, You know, but deservingly, you know, anybody who says you're not my son, I'm going to have to put a few in you, too. Yeah, but i got to be honest. I like when they're at odds with each other. I don't like when they're lovey-dovey with each other and she's manipulating him. I prefer the Jamie that is that on his own. You know, Making his own ca- decisions. Right. It's ca- 
is is kind of a lone wolf and and wants to be a better person. I agree with that. I like that. Um, then it goes to what I thought was really really cool. Kudos to who uh, the director and the the cameraman of the looking out the air holes of the crate. You know the the light occasionally coming through uh, and seeing different flashes and hearing the breath of uh, of Tyrion and uh, the yeah. whole nine yards. I thought it was really really cool. Uh, you know they went for the extra mile on that. I think it was awesome. Very uh, very claustrophobic. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, I think, you know, and of course we find out that, um, was it Varys or Varys, Varys. uh, you know, lets him know when he uncrates him that, you know, we're in uh, Pentos and, um, and, uh, and, you know, and then they go into a pretty cool dialogue where they're complaining about why in the heck did I have to stay in the box? And, you know, you know how hard it is to, you know, s- siphon shit out of a hole and, right, and right. stuff, which I'm having some difficulty with. I mean, if all you've been doing, which we find out later, has been drinking, you ain't producing real logs. You know what I'm saying? No solids. There's no, no solids. solids. I mean, if you're on a bowl, you're painting it. I mean, it's just the bottom line. And so... Uh, I cannot imagine what that box was like if they're on a ship for weeks, you know, crossing some big sea. Uh, Honestly, he looked better than I expected if he was having to shit through holes. And obviously, if you saw Quick very wash his hands, you know, after uncrating him. But uh, I don't know. I thought he'd be, I mean, he grew a beard, obviously, but. I thought maybe those uh, the clothes he was in should have been disgusting. Uh, yeah, and I the think, smell. I think yeah, he would have been kept his distance by any means. I mean, yeah, he might be a eunuch and all, but you don't lose your smell. Oh. You know, you can't. You don't cut that out. And I mean, based on the, the length of that beard, we're talking a long time in the box. Yeah, I, I'm a little sketchy on a couple parts of the editing in this episode. Um, there's a couple things with Brienne, and then this with Tyrion, where I'm not so quite sure on the timeline as far as how long is he in the box you know if it was a couple months but tywin has just been laid to rest good point i didn't even think about that you know i can only assume that tywin's laid to rest what maybe two days three days later right yeah really i mean he was because and this is a funny thing that they actually left out of the show about tywin was at the funeral and they kind of brushed past it but because Tyrion shot him in the gut with a bolt, ended up in the in the books where he he broke his stomach open, and at the funeral thing, this is a major reason why Cersei hates um, uh, who's the maester Pycelle uh, hates his guts because Tywin smells horrible oh, no. during the funeral. And it's this huge deal in the book where all the guests that came to pay respects are all holding their nose and oh, fanning oh. and like bursting out the doors oh, when they're done. God. Matter of fact, Tommen comes in, you know, all supposed to be kingly and stuff like that. He throws up <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> well, you know, going back to what you were saying a minute ago, I mean, yeah, he didn't look a couple days. He was fresh. And then uh, shortly right after, you see him come out of a box. It looks like he's been there a month or two based on a beard. I mean, listen, you grow a beard fast, bro. But we ain't talking that level of scruff. You know, we're talking at least three weeks. I mean, that is bare minimum, you know. And then, like you said, later on, we see Brienne, and it seems like she's still upset because she just lost Arya. So the timing of everything is really kind of wacky a little bit. Well, it, and this could be some of the book's fault, too, because book four and book five take place at the same time, but in different books. They give you that half the characters in, 
in book four and then the other half in book five and like all their timelines are interlaced and it, it get it does get confusing and i know with the showrunners wanting to streamline certain storylines that they kind of have to move and pay it's like okay let them have a beard let them disheveled it's worth it you know to to maybe right. the timeline is not perfect but i got you i got you let's keep moving um the next scene was pretty cool was uh, the statue being torn down um all those ropes on it coming down uh it made me feel like i was watching a scene from 300 the way they did the backdrop and all the smoke and cloud and the extra white light or you know it was really uh i i enjoyed it you know it, it's kind of a uh, a shift in direction of visual arts you know visual way they do things kind of in the past um i thought it was pretty cool a good way to lead into danny's little area and what's going on i i agree i i love the cg of it it's kind of cool to see how how big it is compared to the guys standing up next to it when they pull it down um but then when it hits the ground i almost feel like it would hit like a like, like a, a meteor wreck. yeah it yeah. just hit the earth but it kind of hits and just bong yeah. Not even much sand comes up, which kind of me, you know, I'll give it to the show, whatever, no big deal. But so you basically are saying you give it a seven out of a ten. You know, the judges panel is a little, you know, a little low on the left side. Uh, didn't stick the landing. Didn't stick the landing. There yeah, you go. We'll call it that. There you go. I, I, I give you that. You know, the funny thing was is that I actually walked out of the room, and I heard the scene before I watched it. I pressed rewind right afterwards, you know, and I'm going to give props to the sound editor or whoever it was, because if you really just kind of close your eyes on that scene, you hear metal bending and rocks crushing and falling. And somebody went the extra mile. And I, a lot of times that gets overlooked, but that I was really appreciative of how they went there. Unfortunately, like you said, it was kind of a dunk at the end. And you know, that is what it is. It's but, okay though. Uh, still fantastic. Uh, it rolled right into one of the unsullied, uh, unsullied soldiers. I'm guessing a higher command soldier, not, just a regular guy. I don't know. He looked like maybe a little more prominent. I don't know. Um, he, you know, he bypasses a couple prostitutes. And, you know, one shows the right breast, one shows the left breast. Moves on. You know, I guess he had the one he wanted. Um, gives her a coin and comes on in and wants to be, uh, I guess, sing a lullaby or held like Mama. Spooned. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, it was interesting, not what I expect whatsoever. You know, when you when I was watching last season and not being a book reader, Unsullied, you think of no emotion, no nothing. Um, but the only hint they give you is like Grey Worm watching, um, can't remember her name, you Miss know, Andy. You know uh, bathing and showing a little bit, not much. Um, but and then it stunned me when the, the, the guy's throat got slashed. I was just like, where is this coming from? Okay, well, this, this is something where... I don't think the show could really go into the depths, the darkness of the Unsullied's backstory, okay? There's a lot of horrible stuff that they went through to become Unsullied soldiers. Okay. And there's a reason why some of them would go to a, a brothel and just want to be held by a woman. Not necessarily in a sexual way or even... Uh, I guess sexual is the right word, but even in a motherly way, because they've been ripped from their parents or sold from their parents. They have never had a mother, right? you know, so they, they're more or less looking for human connection. Oh, you're, yeah. You're, you're looking for companionship or kinship, whatever you want to call it. You're, you're, you're going to desire being, you know, desired being desired. You know, um, you want somebody to know they care. I mean, that's just part of it. Yeah, you, 
just looking for like an emotional connection yeah. other than battle and uh you know fighting with everyone oh yeah i mean i completely agree with that um, but but also the sons of the harpy okay now they weren't really introduced much last season either so you kind of just get a a crash course on who they are now these are and, the guys with the mask that cut the throat right these are the guys with the mask <clears throat> who cut the throat and then leave the mask as, as a as a you know calling card basically gotcha. now yeah, these are, that was quick Right, and these are just uh, people that are loyal to the old ways, to the harpy, which is what's pulled down. You know, these are just basically to the masters, loyal right. to the masters. Um, it goes right into Danny, you know, being upset and demanding that they be found, who they are, and be dealt with. I want their heads, you know. Uh, you know, he's talking to Grey Worm and the bodyguard and, um, you know, just really kind of putting it out there. Okay, and there's another character right here who's wearing a strange neck rope, like, robe thing. A lot of people might have thought it was Grey Worm, but it's not. Grey Worm is there. He's standing in the background. But this guy is called Mosador or Masador, something like that. Now, he's not a a major character from, you know, Seasons Past or like that. I'm sorry. What you might remember him from was when they broke in... To Marine and they, all the slaves were under, in like the underground area. In the catacombs. He's the one that spoke to them before Grey Worm and told them that the Mother of Dragons was here to protect them and save them. Gotcha. Yeah, it, I'm putting that together now. Kind of started the uprising, basically. Gotcha. gotcha. So, it, they've kind of unceremoniously just thrown them back into the plot, but right. that's who he is. Uh, then it switches right to Grey Worm down in the armory, getting some guys armored up and weaponized. And uh, I can't remember her name. Uh, walks up to her and asks, Sandy uh, tells her, you know, asks the question, "Can I ask you, you know, why on earth would an unsullied soldier be in a brothel?" And of course, Grey Worm's answer is, "What do you expect? I have no idea. You know, I don't know." Um, and then it goes ahead and moves right along. I mean, how does the book differ in that part? Does he give any more elaboration? Not. Not really. The book is, it goes more into graphic, you know, of what's done to them, you know, and they are castrated shaft and balls. Okay. All is removed. But in, in the show, Frank. good gracious. In the show, they, they, they're kind of playing with that a little bit. And I'm not sure why. I know they want to play the Masandi Grey Worm deal, but I'm not sure why they're playing with, even, even when the uh, Unsullied that just got killed. You know, he didn't want her to take off his bottom half, and she didn't need to either. You know, they they just want to leave it ambiguous, kind of, like what's going on downstairs for the Unsullied. Yeah, I can see that. Um, let's keep moving. Uh, Jon Snow, Johnny, comes out, and uh, it opens up right where they're inside the wall, the, the castle, and they're, he's training a young guy, doing some sword training and fighting, and constantly complaining keep your shield up the is this guy a character he didn't yeah seem do, you, like, do you know who he is i have no idea okay this is ollie this is the little boy that shot egret with the arrow looked like a different guy yeah i don't know if they recast taller, him or not, older but he's definitely older he's definitely bigger um but this is ollie this you know kind of shows john's character a little bit yeah it's not awkward Right, where he's he's really hard on him, but but then he cares about him, you know, because you can't blame him. 
He was saving John's life as far as he knew. Yeah. You know, so, but, you know, and and you see towards the end, too, where John walks off from the funeral pyre and stuff like that. That kid looks at him, but but sticks around and keeps staring at the fire. Right. So I think they brought him back to play a, a, a bigger role in some kind of, you know, feud with John. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you see old Heavy, heavy Sam and his girl uh, kind of watching in the distance. And then, um, what is it, Allison Thorne? Is that that guy's name? I'm happy to see him come back. Alistair. Alistair, Alistair Thorne. Thorne, yeah. Yeah, he's walking with a limp, but he's alive. Yeah, he's alive. You know, he, he he's an ass, but, you know, he's a he's a heck of a fighter. Not as big as ass of his little lackey wandering around oh, with him, yeah, uh, Jano Slint. Just when you need the needle right in the throat. You know what I mean? Where, where is Arya to do her business, you know? Um they kind of walk by, give him the stink eye, you know, you know, bros, no hoes, whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, and then, you know, Sam kind of, you know, makes her feel better. Like, you know, if you have to go, I'll go with you. And, you know, and, but she explains, if we leave, we're going to die, you know. Yeah, they're they're kind of explaining the first groundwork into the uh, uh, Lord Commander for the wall, Okay. Since the old bear died, that space has been open. You know, Alistair Thorne kind of took over a little bit, but he's not been voted Lord Commander. So the guy he was talking about over in Eastwatch, um, Malister, is basically just another leader of a Night's Watch or like that. So there's an opening for Lord Commander, and it looks like they're going to have a election, kind of, I guess, through the brothers. And you think, um, you know, later on you see Stennis and they kind of explain to him that half like him, half don't and stuff. You know, do you think that John, I mean, is it something that John might be up for? I think so. I mean, they're really playing on the fact that a lot of people respect the fact that he really saved the wall. You know, it was his leadership that, you know, kept the wall standing, kept Castle Black alive. Well, I, think he's, I think they're right. I think, you know, him doing what he was doing really put it up. But... But consider also the fact that it was Wildings that were attacking, and he's sympathetic to the Wildings. Double-edged so, sword, yeah. Right, so you got kind of a, maybe of a 50-50 slit between people that favor him and people that don't. But, you know, you got to admit, though, his actions have proved, you know, even in the battle. You know, he was in there killing Wildings and doing different things. I mean, yeah, you know, those people who have doubt shouldn't have that much doubt considering his actions. In the in the most recent battle, don't get me wrong. Now he's done a lot of things, like we talked about last time. His bowels, he didn't quite stick to him. He was with them for a long time, and there was a lot of things. But once the battle has commenced and the stance is here, so I think people realize that he is a good reason why those walls are still up and they are still alive. Right, and I'm sure that sows some doubt in their minds, and probably conflicts, you know, a lot with the people. But when you have a brother die next to you from a wilding arrow. And then John lets that wilding in and whatever, doesn't kill him, you know, maybe shares food with him, whatever the case may be, you know, you're going to have some tough feelings towards Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Now, um, the witch, her name is Melisandre? Melisandre. Right. You know, of course, she walks up to him and says, hey, you know, the king wants to see you. And he goes to the top of the wall and, you know, uh, I don't hear what anybody says. She's smoking hot. But anyway, she... Uh, she takes him up there and, you know, asks him the random question, are you a virgin? And, you know, and John and keeps the face. He's like, good. No. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, and then she was like, good. And I, I didn't 
I don't know where she was leading with that. You know, I mean, what, what's the motivation behind this questioning? Because it doesn't come out in the next little part where she's talking to Stannis or nothing. Is it like a subplot where she's trying to see things for her own benefit or something she's planning down the road? An opportunist? Well, <clears throat> Melisandre doesn't necessarily just lay out her goal. You know, she just says she's, you know, Lord of the Light, 100%, and she's willing to do whatever it takes to do that. She's already been a fan of bastards. You remember Gendry? Gets them all hot and heavy and then breaks out the leeches. And puts him on his junk. You know. So she's found another bastard. Possibly with some royal blood in there. You know. And probably just sees an opportunity. You know. To and jump his bones. Put him in the same situation as Gendry. You know. But if you remember last season. She was hawking him through the fire. You know. At the very end. You know. So she's had interest in him for a while. And... I kind of look forward to how that progresses. Yeah, she's definitely cooking something. There, there's something going down there. Not to mention she's a redhead, <laughs> egret. <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Now, of course, Stannis looks at him and you know says they're going to make a fair offer to Man's Raider and and basically hits him with the ultimatum of is that you've got less than 24 hours to convince Man's Raider that you know he's going to kneel or he's going to burn, and uh, you know John I think goes down there and gives it his a valiant effort. And I thought this dialogue right here was awesome. You know, that John's really trying to sell that, you know, he's got a life's work. He's done something no one's ever done. You know, they believe in you. They're going to follow your lead and you can save a lot of lives, give them opportunities to live in an, in an, an unharsh environment and different things like that. And yet he still chooses the other. I, to be honest with you, I, I had difficulty with this decision. I, I like John said, it was pride, um, but I still never really understood why he didn't go ahead and make that decision if it was what was best for the people based on what John – I think John had good points. Okay, first, before I get on to that part, I love just the shot of Stannis and Davos overlooking the wall to the north. Very pretty shot. And I totally agree with you. When he gets down there with Mance – to have the conversation. Not to mention, John and Stannis have a really good rapport, too. I like the way they, you know, set up their dialogue. Right. You know, they're kind of harsh to each other. But it's point. like a mutual respect. Right. But they're they're very curt with each other. And then with the Mance conversation, I love it. I think Syrian Hines is a is a really good actor. Um, I really didn't take to him too much when they introduced him uh, in the early seasons. But I just didn't feel like he had much to do. Well, not only that, he didn't, to me, he didn't exemplify a leader of wildlings. I mean, when you think of wildlings, you think of somebody who can handle his own to anyone. He looked like a politician in wilding clothing that had long black hair, you know? Well, I think it's the haircut mainly that distracted me. I hate that little, like, butt part, <laughs> kind of cheek-level length hair. It was really strange. When you got, like, Thorin, who's awesome. You know, big shaggy red beard. You know, obviously an awesome fighter. Yeah, leads by example. You know? Right. But you never got to see Mance fight. He was only dialogue, which is fine. It's not like I need him to fight to be awesome character. But I, but he really did grow on me. The more he got, the more he was able to, you know, stretch his legs and, t- and have a more speaking role. I really enjoyed him. And I, I do hate to see him go. I, I, I feel like they could have got a couple more episodes out of him. You know, maybe working uh, like a treaty type of deal. But, um, 
but I, I, I do love the dialogue they have here. Yeah, it was great, you know, and I mean, even if I didn't agree and he had his reasons, you know, you have to admit it was poignant that he stuck to what who he was and what he represented for his people, you know, but man, them having to watch him burn and go down like that, that was, that was tough. Yeah, but you do look at it too. I know that I think the decision was tough too and not the decision I would have made. But if he did kneel in front of all the wildings that he brought up here under the pretense that we do not kneel, you know, let's get to safety. You know, his new colors would be kneel and live, you know. Right. That'd be his new banner, you know. So <coughs> It would take away everything that he's been preaching the whole time. What brought them all together? Right. Okay. I, I mean, I can see that. Uh, you know, I just, I do believe they would understand his decision. If even if he was allowed the opportunity to explain his decision of what it meant for his people, because I mean, this is the same guy who told everybody to stop fighting when Stennis was coming in. You know, that shows that he was willing to make the right decision because it benefited his people. He's presented with another situation, an exact same decision possible in another context, but yet he chooses the pride decision where he could have chose pride and battle and them all going out because they're they're fearless to the end. So that's the part I struggled with is because in the last episode and last season, you know, he made the decision that was not typical of the Wildlings and saved his people, you know. But, you know, it's just here nor there, you know. Um, but I, I do like his line that, all I ever wanted was the freedom to make my own decision, mistakes. Yeah. You know? I thought that was pretty sweet. You I know, thought that right was there good. towards the end. Um, we're jumping ahead, so we're going to keep moving. Um, Littlefinger, Sansa, and the, uh, what's that Lord's name? Uh, Robin Aaron. Robin Aaron uh, are watching the sword training of Old Prince. Uh, oh, no, that's Robin Aaron. The guy that's next to him is um, uh, Raymore Royce. Raymore Royce. Yeah, I knew that was going to This is the comic relief of the entire episode, in Absolutely. my opinion. I mean, watching this this, <laughs> this little boy swing these wood sticks at each other and, uh, uh, you know, getting smoked and hit, you know, it's embarrassing. And then the number one line of the show, by far, is, you know, the guy goes, he swings a sword like a girl with palsy. I mean, <laughs> I was grabbing my ribs. I was hurting. I was laughing so hard. I mean... Kudos to D and D. I mean, this is a way way to hit a good one, a home run, you know, out the park, whatever you want to call it. Uh, great line, you know. Absolutely, uh, I love it. And, and the fact that the kid he's training with is trying so hard not to just bash him to death. He's <laughs> no, barely no. swinging at him, you know, and, and he's defenseless. Oh, it, it is. But that, and then to realize that he's thirteen years old, and within the last year he's been suckling on a titty, and I just it just still blows my mind. Gruesome, yeah, it's just over the top. But so you know, the finger gets interrupted by a messenger bringing him a little note. In my opinion, the note didn't look like it had great information. It kind of made me believe that the note meant we need to have movement and get going and different things of that nature. What'd you read from that? I don't know if it meant too much about the fact that he was getting a note or even meant much about the information in it. I think it more wanted to show that Sansa was interested in what was in the note. You know, I think they're trying to play her a little more, you know, not as laid back, not as squeamish and, 
Oh, there's uh, no doubt. She is becoming a little finger. I mean, like I said, many fingers. She is she is wanting to be a part of that game, be this. She's going to question things. She wants to be a part of the decision process. Right. But I also think she doesn't necessarily trust him too much. So I think she's, you know, background playing him, but also learning from him. Playing the deck she's got. Right. You know, playing so, but I like her going like full goth, you know, the black hair, the black dress. You know, I think it kind of gives her a neat new look. Well, uh, she definitely looks older, and it definitely, it's not resembling of who she was by any means. Oh, no, she looks like her mother now, you know, and which I know Littlefinger loves. <laughs> oh, oh. Give his little finger. Shut up, dude. All right, it rolls right into Brienne and the squire sitting there by the fire discussing, you know, uh, you know, good lords, bad lords, and her sharpening her, you know, her blade and her big old rock. Um, you know, I think this was a key comment where she, you know, she made something to the fact of, uh, that one of our listeners and feedback brought up, um, you know, talking about the Lords and we'll talk about that then. Um, but she just seemed like that was right after, like we talked about earlier, that was right after the fight and lost Arya. Do you get that same vibe? Yeah. I think she feels kind of defeated and probably a little, you know, self-loathing, you know, cause everybody she's sworn a vow to has died. Oh, or yeah. has gotten away, you know, but from, you know, the first king she swore to, what was his name? Uh, oh, yeah, Stannis' brother. Uh, yeah, the Baratheon. I can't believe I can't That's remember That's where the shadow stabbed him in the back. Well, nothing she could do about that. Yeah, but either way, it's somebody she swore to protect is dead. Swore to protect Caitlyn, Caitlyn, dead. You know, swore to her that she'd find her daughters, gets this close to... Aria oh, loses yeah. her. Sniffing distance. You know, gets close to... Uh, she doesn't even realize how close she was to Sansa. Yeah. Gone. You know, I, I feel like she just doesn't want anybody around her because everyone who's around her dies. Well, she can't complete any mission she vows. Right, right. And that's and, and Unfortunately, that's the way it is. Even though she's a badass, you know, and takes out my favorite character, one of my favorite characters. Um, and then, of course... Yeah, you know, it shows the carriage going by with the escort, and that's you know Littlefinger and Sansa and the traveling coach, and it the the, the conversations made that uh, they're going. You know, she she's intuitive and realizes they're not going the right direction. You know, she says, "Well, if we're going this way, we should be going this. Why are we going west?" And then he makes the comment, "Well, this is, we're going somewhere different, where you know you're basically out of the reach of Cersei." Right. And once again, this is this is the part of the the timeline editing that I find kind of weird. Yeah, difficult. Because you know you had an episode of Mockingjay where Lysa gets thrown out the moon door, and at the end of it, they kind of get dressed. You see Sansa for the first time in her full goth, and they leave. And then, you know, Arya's already left. You know, because Sansa and Littlefinger have already left. They've already left the Eyrie. And then they meet Brienne on the road. You know, she has the fight with the Hound, which is awesome. But now somehow Brienne has gotten in front of Littlefinger and Sansa and meets them on the road. Yeah, now, it's like this somebody's doing circles. I don't know how long they spent at uh, the Royce uh, fort, you know, training Robin or whatever the case may be. Doesn't look long. <laughs> but once again, this is a little bit of a timeline shuffle that could be, you know, you can't, something that you can't fix. Yeah, I mean, it didn't really 
it didn't really bother me or I didn't really pick up on it until I watched it a second time and kind of just kind of realized a few things. And of course you really exemplified it when it talks about the other things and it didn't dawn on me until we recorded it tonight that, you know, the him being in that box, there, holes in his beard and then compared to where they were. So yeah, it's a big discrepancy there. Um, it went right into Cersei at the funeral where they actually have everybody talking and stuff. And of course you see in the distance that her son is being, you know, holding hands with, um, what's that princess's name? Marjorie. Marjorie. Um, you know, and then that, that guy is, you know, right behind her, just complimenting out the wazoo about her dad and, you know, and she's not having it. Her face is quintessential. Shut the heck up. And it's just, it's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, of course she just keeps walking. She walks off from him, you know, and then goes down and goes downstairs and runs into the surprise character for me. It just, you know, completely blew me away. And I had to go back and watch the preview to even realize who this cat was or who he was supposed to look like and so on. Um, this Lancel, I think is his name, you know, the scruffy fellow in the robes, you know, um, right. This is obviously Lancel is from way back. He was, much skinnier, much smaller. They had long blonde hair, you know, very feminine kind of to me. Um, you know, he was sleeping with Cersei when Jamie was kidnapped and was the one feeding the wine to Robert Baratheon when he died on the boar hunt. And also the last time we saw him, he took an arrow fighting in the Blackwater uh, in season two. So this was kind of a weird thing for him to come back field yeah i mean well and the thing of it is is he has short hair and he's also super jacked yeah, he's, he's a big got, guy now. got some muscle on him yeah, uh man. and the guy you were talking about behind cersei is loris her betrothed really you know until tywin dies they probably don't have to marry now but it it's still cool to see loris talking about how he was yeah, you know, I mean, a real force of nature. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, the the politics never end. You know, it's just one thing or another. But this is where I thought was one of the bombshells of the show because, I, you know, I remember season one and I remember them kind of getting on to that Lancel guy about giving him too much wine and him being drunk during the boar hunt. But the way he talked with uh, Cersei and it made me believe that there was a little possibility of conspiracy, you know, and that, or it's going to be turned into conspiracy or that was a thought at one time that, you know, either that he was drugging the one or he was purposely giving him too much in an attempt to hope that he gets killed or has an accident or something of that nature. Did you get that vibe too? Oh, absolutely. I think might have even just put it out on the table there that Cersei was directly involved in telling him to feed him wine during the boar hunt. Could have been spiked with something, you know, laced with something, you know what I mean? You know, she had Picel in her back pocket, too. Could have easily gotten some from him. Whatever the case may be, Lancel's in implicating her, you know, in it. it almost, almost in a, like a, a warning fashion. Like... Yeah, like, you, you can choose this way, or this is the outcome. You know? Right. Or, you know, come to the Seven and be saved, or deny us and live in misery and you know see what the consequences could be right now this guy in the robes you know it was mentioned to me which was new to me he said they call themselves it's a religion and he called themselves a sparrow what's the significance of a sparrow in this religion okay so when Cersei comes downstairs and you first meet Lancel and he's in the robes the guy who stops her and says forgive my son's appearance 
That's Kevin Lannister. All right, that's Tywin's brother. Okay, and this is Lancel's dad. Lancel is now a devout follower of the Seven. Okay, which is the Southern religion, the main religion of the Southern people. The Northerners, you know, they follow the old gods, and then you have Valor, the you know, the fire god that Melisandre's with. But the seven are like the, they're the newest. They're like the Catholic religion, okay? They, they have the smith and the mother and the stranger and the warrior and stuff like that, okay? Now, the, the sparrows are important because they come in in like droves of people. They're the ones that are all over the city, like with those robes on and stuff. And they talk about them just a hair bit in last season and like a, approving them almost to come into the city, you know? So they're going to have a bigger part. So yeah. there is more to come with them. Absolutely. I got you. Um, and of course it leads into what's that guy's name in the bed with his uh, boyfriend. There? Loris. Yeah. Loris. Um, and Oliver. And Oliver. A lot and, of man ass. Yeah. A lot of cheek. Um, and of course, uh, Marjorie busts up in there. Doesn't, doesn't blink an eye. Doesn't, you know, doesn't bat him, you know, doesn't do anything. And uh, just keeps talking to him, you know. Sasha's hanging out and all. No big deal. I'm know? hungry. Yeah. Can you uh, hurry up? Yeah, really. You know, can you do your thing? Can you be a little more uh, discreet? And, uh, you know, I'm ready for my meal, you know. It's really kind of kind of a unique dialogue, you know, but it shows that she is a determined person and doesn't let things get, you know, cloud her mind or judgment or anything that she does. Right, and, and you see her kind of give a vain threat about Cersei, too. You know, it's like, well, maybe that could happen. Or maybe... Ba- Maybe she'll be here, you know. They're really setting up that battle between her and Cersei. It's about time. You know what I mean? Like, she's putting her, she's getting her claws into the boy and getting things rolling. And Cersei just seems to be just watching, you know. I mean, I don't know why she's not doing more, but I guess she has to remain politically correct and do things. But, um, yeah, there's no doubt that there are several characters this episode that show that they're they're building their cards to play their hand, you know, and uh, that's interesting to because sh- it's going to lead to a pretty good dynamic down the road. Okay, well, speaking of the politics of it, what do you think about Loras? Is he a possible hindrance? The fact that he's not discreet, the fact that everybody knows he's a pillow biter, and you know, they're just kind of flaunting it at this point. Is he in the way? Is he a problem for Marjorie? Um, I, I don't think so. The reason why is this, is that Marjorie uh, has her hooks into the, the young king. And that's going to continue to move forward no matter what happens with Cersei and him. And so him and, you know doing what he's doing if it's embarrassing it's not whatever it is uh, if anything it just helps prevent them being apart and putting Cersei on an island and so I think that doesn't hinder what what Marjorie's goal at at any point whatsoever okay cool um 
then it goes on to back to uh, Tyrion and Varys. Uh, I, I would love this. They're right there by the coast, and they have another great dialogue. You know, they cracking jokes. So you know, the man of master of whispers, and he goes, you know, half man. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, there was some good good wisecracks in this one. I really, I, I had some good some good chuckles going on. Um, and then Varys goes into this real long little deal of you know, I didn't save you for you or me i saved you for the realm he talks about that there i'm doing it for the the good of the realm and i believe that we can you know if we get the right person on the iron throne that has the proper last name and knows what they're doing and smart enough and has the politics you know and i you know the whole time he's kind of feel like you're setting up Tyrion is the guy uh, but then he, you know, throws the right hook and then, the, the, you know, the uppercut that, you know, who says it's a, you know, a man, you know, and of course he's talking about Danny. And, uh, do you agree with some of the things he was saying? Do you think that the, if she was on the iron throne tomorrow, that the realm is a better place? Yeah, I do. You see what he said? He, he, he needs somebody stronger than Tommen, but not as strong as Stannis. <clears throat> yeah. More level headed. Right. So you bring Danny in. And the reason he saved Tyrion was because during the Blackwater, when he was Hand, he he saw his worth. He He's well aware of the potential Tyrion has. and Yeah, he's smart. He makes right. good decisions even though he might be at a disadvantage. Right. And, it, and he tells him, you know, he thinks he still has a role to play in the wars to come. The second time you'll hear that statement. Uh, I, d- I do think Danny would be good. I do love putting Tyrion and Varys together. When they're to, when they're together, the dialogue is just it's so perfect. You know, they they just you know, they beat off each other easy, you know. It, it it's the most fluid best partnership probably in the show. Yeah, I mean, right now, their dialogue is the most dynamic with what's going on. And of course, you know, he he convinces them to uh to travel to Marine to meet Danny, and of course, in typical Tyrion fashion, he's like, you know, can I drink myself on the death on the way there? You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's know, I, he's I, pitying I, himself quite uh, a bit. Self medication, you know. Um, well, after the drinking rally he had the first time we saw him get out of the crate, yeah. you know, he's Ugh. a lush. <laughs> All right, uh, it goes right into Danny's area, and you see the unsullied soldiers patrolling the streets. Um, and it goes back to where they're in the her chambers and she's having a conference what looks to be a local politician or a mediator for the public who is asking to opening the fighting pits and she is denying him profusely. Okay, this is a guy from last season that Danny sent a young guy to fix the rebellion that was going on there. His name is Hisdar Zolorak. Okay. And that's obviously Dario that went with him. She sent him with him to make sure things went right. Yeah, he wants to open the fighting pits. Now, this is a uh, a cool thing in the book that I'm glad they're they're bringing in and stuff like that. Um, you know, I feel I, I feel like it's obvious why she wouldn't want to. You know, I, I agree with it, like the human cockfighting, and that's just getting people's blood up. You know, you know. I thought that you know, when she said human cockfighting, I thought that was a random analogy, you know, or a comparison that you know when I think of fantasy world and the world we're living in and so on, I don't see cockfighting being like a 
something that was created then or is even a known term or you know what I'm saying? I mean, that it's kind of like, you know, a, you know, it's like a, a regional thing for, you know, parts of our world. I, 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 did, I thought that was a strange analogy. I thought that was a miss when it came to the writing on that part. Yeah, but this is another thing where you kind of, you miss a lot by not reading the books. You know, there's areas like in King's Landing called Flea Bottom where all the poor people are. And they gamble and they steal and they do on everything. And they do have cockfighting. You know, they chase chicks and, and stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. I I agree with you. I think it's kind of a more modern term, but it makes sense and it's fitting. Well, I think the term, I think the comparison was valid. I just think that it's not something I expect to hear come out of Danny's mouth. You I know agree. what I'm saying? I mean, uh, when, when has she ever seen cockfighting? You know what I mean? Where, 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 where has that ever come from and hurt? You know, uh, that's, that was just me. Uh, and then, of course, what is it Dario? Is that Dario? Dario. Yeah, of course, he takes his little knife and slides his handle in and out a little bit, gives the cue, you know, and, uh, you know, her, her expression says it all. And then, of course, you see his naked tail, and evidently they've had a little fun uh, up in her own little chambers. Um, and he goes ahead and pl- makes the case that he is who he is because of the fighting pits and that she would not know him or have him if it wasn't for those fighting pits. Uh, you know, and you can definitely tell, you know, that he's, uh, making a strong case and she's soaking it up like a dry sponge. I, I think she's still resisting a little bit on it, but I think he knows that she needs a little goodwill in the area, you know, to only build the relationship instead of the constant, you know, infighting between her and the former masters and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, and unfortunately, we've seen the previews for season five, and we know this is coming to fruition because uh, I'm looking forward to it because, you know, my man Jorah, you know, is seen thrown in the pit. So I, I'm really looking forward to, you know, seeing how it's going to go. I wonder if they're going to make it like the Gladiator, you know, the only thing missing Russell Crowe out there holding his sword up. But, you know, we'll see, but looking forward to it. Uh, and then, of course, it runs into the final thing, which we've kind of touched on a little bit, is, uh, you know, when Snow is trying to convince Man's Raider of, uh, you know, kneeling to save himself as well as his people and the deal and stuff. And, unfortunately, um, Man's Raider ain't having it and they end with the you know the him saying you know your pride and then he says well that's not the case and i've made my decisions to be able to have the freedom to make my own mistakes and which i think is one of the best lines of the whole show you know exemplifying who he was and why he made the decision he did um and then of course you see outside and they got the you know they got the the pole like you know like something you'd see on salem witches trials or something and uh he gives him one last chance you know and he's got a full full array of everybody to watch his own you know wildlings his snow and his crew uh alistair and stennis's crew the, the whole nine yards yeah, are all there to watch. creepy wife and daughter yeah yeah and wife uh, is super creepy and of course man's raider just looks at him and says you know i wish you good fortune you know and uh that's the end of it and you know they put him on the pole he doesn't beg he doesn't plead he he you know, takes it with dignity. Of course, you see him kind of twitching. You know, you, that was one thing I did like. You know, he he admits in the meeting that he was afraid to die. 
you know, if you think of a fearless leader, you don't think of a guy who goes, well, yeah, I'm afraid to die. You know, I'm, yeah. And he goes, and then of course he asks, he goes, what is it? Chop off the head and nice. And then he goes, no, they burned you to death. And he's like, huh. Rough know, way to re- go. <laughs> his reaction was priceless. You know, uh, I, I thought that was really, really good to show that he was a human. It is, a, it's okay to fear death. And, um, I think that uh, they did a good job because you could see him kind of tremble a little bit. They put him on there, and he was resisting, but not to the point where he was going to try to have a rebellion and get out of there. Of course, they lit it, and uh, I thought it was strange that you know Melisandre was the one who lit the fire. What what was this? What was the significance of her doing that? No, she always burns them. It's her job. She always burns. Um, I think you know. I thought that was kind of. Different. She loves I didn't me not having the book knowledge. I thought that was strange, but uh, here nor there. Um, and of course, you see, uh, uh, you, you see Jon Snow leave in disgust, and I thought he was just not going to want to watch him, you know, die because he thinks he made a poor decision. And then, of course, Man's Raider gets the last of the Mohicans treatment and takes an arrow in the chest instead of a round ball. And uh, I thought it was uh, an honorable thing to do, but it also makes me believe that Jon's going to lose some credit. Uh, and even possibly have some uh, repercussions for his actions. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, they have to touch on it. I mean, like we already talked about the 50% of people that maybe don't have the love for him because of the respect he has for the Wildings, and they think that he's too close to him. But also Stannis. I mean, Stannis might look at that as an outright, you know... Betrayal of his authority. Bet- yeah, betrayal of his authority or a treasonous type deal. I'm with yeah. you. I mean, if you're really trying to set the tone that you're you're Billy Badass, I'm the king, you kneel or you die or you roast or whatever you want to call it, and you go shoot an arrow into him and completely take away the fun of watching a guy scream as he's roasted to death, uh, yeah, I, I think Stannis is the kind of guy who says, you, you know, you're going to pay for that. You, you know, there's yeah, no and doubt. They could also look at Melisandre and be like, does it matter if he was dead before he burned? And she could be like, no, no, it's no big deal. As long as he burns, you know, you never know. Well, you know, it could be a situation like you're just saying that Melisandre saves Jon Snow's ass. You know, it could be something like that where like Melisandre's like, no, don't, you know, don't. We can need him, that kind of stuff. Right, he's useful. I could see that definitely coming out to play. Right. You know, she's obviously taking a liking, you know, so. Yeah. And then uh, the credits roll. And uh, that was in the rundown on that. Um and like we said before, I thought the show was great. I thought it was a great setup episode. I think it had just enough, you know, not really what I call action pack by any means. If you want to call the prince getting his training, going, <laughs> getting hit by the wooden sword, but Brutal, uh, you know, man's Raiders death was a, a good, you know, a good way to punch the end of the show. And, yeah. Cap you know, it rolled off. off, you know, um, let's move on to the little area where we go uh, the best and worst. Uh, what do you think was the best part of this episode? Uh, I'd have to give it to the, the Tyrion and Varys stuff. I just love when they're on the screen together. They just play off each other too well. I just, I can't get enough of it. That dialogue was pretty good. I, you know, my favorite part, and I've said it several times, my best part was is that they actually infused some good comedy or some, like you said, some extra good dialogue through the whole episode. So I would say the best part of the episode was the writing when it came to the dialogue between characters. You know, when Finger's talking to the, that Lord and he's, you know, making jokes, and when Varys is talking to Tyrion and they're having the good, the good rapport and what, where it's going. Um, you know, even some of the conversation, like you said, with, you know, Snow and Man's Raider. I think the way they set up the dialogues between 
good characters was what made the show really, really good. Uh, what do you think was the worst part of the show was? Probably have to go with the timeline issues. My biggest problem, I mean, with a lot of people, I probably didn't just jump out and show them, you know, that there was an issue. But the beard stuff and the Brienne stuff, it doesn't, like, take me out of it. But you realize it's a written show, you know, at that point. Because, you know, they had to jostle some things to make things fit. And it's not like it's horrible. It's just out of a great episode, you got to nitpick, you know, so you pull out. I guess that's the worst. I agree. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think that the jumbling or the timeline and how it bounced back and forth, you know, I think that was the worst part of the show. But considering the show and how good it was and how well it was set up for everything, and like I said, I just said, I thought the writing was great in, uh, in the influential parts. I think it would be difficult to really change it in any other way to make it more acceptable or less, you know, where it doesn't feel like they're out of balance, you know. Right, they have to streamline stuff, and it's going to happen every once in a while. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, and of course, the next part we're going to is that do we have any farewell to any major characters or anybody we really enjoyed? And unfortunately, the only one that I can think of is Man's Raider. So, uh, and goodbye, Man's Raider. We all, ah! yeah. Uh, unfortunately, um, he was skewered and roasted. Uh, and uh, not in that order, and uh, but you know, or if, however you want to put it. Uh, before we get, I uh, I enjoyed the character. I don't think he was the physical or visual appearance that I would consider for that type of character. But I thought the actor was really good. I think he did a great job um, conveying what that character was meant to do, and uh, I think it is a loss for the show. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss his dialogue with Jon Snow, obviously. And I would have liked to seen more with Stannis. I think they would have played off each other really well as well. Right. So, you know, I sad to see him go, but like it wasn't one of my favorite characters. So I'm not too just. It wasn't a sad. devastating loss, you know. Like I said, he doesn't have an influential moment in the entire series that makes you go, "Oh wow, that's a major loss." You know, where everybody else seems to have that before they go. And that what gives that gut wrench that he's gone. You know, or she's gone. Um, uh, one second. Before we get too far away, there's one little scene we missed. And it's after Dario with Danny. And he's talking to her about his her dragons. And oh, saying right. yeah, the, the mother of dragons. And the dragon queen's no queen without her dragons. So Danny goes and visits her dragons. Now, I thought this was pretty awesome. To see Rhaegal and Viserys down there you know, blowing flames and they're big as Was hell. it me or were they twice the size of what I remember? I think bigger. I mean, they're huge now. So just imagine Drogon, who was already the big one, is twice as big as they are. So, man, when we see him, he's going to be a monster. Yeah, and <clears throat> I'm concerned, you know, like, is this a weakness for her now that she is not in control and that she has lost what her edge? I mean, I mean, I, but you know, that's how this show is, is that just as soon as somebody feels like they have an edge, there's something that makes it cripple right behind it. You know, there's always something eating at your advancement. You know, I mean, that's just the reality of it. 
Yeah, I it wouldn't mean, be too entertaining. You go back to like Rob Stark. He makes a big advance and wins a big battle, da 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 da, and then all of a sudden one of his own people kills Lannister people, and he has to punish him. And then, of course, that ends up leading to him having to kneel and then ultimately get killed by somebody who he betrayed earlier to try to regain his power. Uh, and this is like Danny, you know, she shows her muscle by her dragons, and she has gathered her unsullied. But then all of a sudden, her top advisor has to be banished. Her dragons are having to be locked up and one's gone uh, and now she has civil unrest i mean as soon as she gains so much it's just nipping right back at her and eating it away and that's yeah. what the show is absolutely they don't let anybody get too powerful you know and when you do they'll take you down a peg or two yeah there's no, no such thing as ultimate you know i just didn't want to no get doubt. too far without mentioning um, those dragons but other than that man let's just go roll right into feedback now unfortunately you know we are a you know young cast here and so we had um only a, not what i would call more than a handful of emails and some tweets and a few other things um but we had some good ones and we kind of nitpicked a little bit and chose some of the really good questions that we thought and, and you know a couple comments you know we had somebody give us a little prop so we had to put that out there but um mike r says guys like your podcast does anybody else think it's strange that brianne was in with basically line sight of both Stark girls in back-to-back episodes. Now, I think he means that, like, he had Arya, she had Arya in her grasp in the season finale last year, and then a carriage with Sansa drives right by her in this episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe they're, I'm, I'm hoping maybe that they're going to give Brienne some hope, you know, Maybe she catches a glance of Sons or something like that. Like in last season with a big failure of not being able to to keep Arya. But then start this season with a little bit of hope for, you know, while she's so down. And maybe she can follow Sons or or stop her and just try to help her some kind of way, you know. Because I think Bran's kind of lost her way at this point. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I think, uh, I, I mean, me personally, I think it's strange that they had her carriage go right by Brienne. You know, what does that symbolize? That she's just that much more of a loser, that she's not accomplishing her vow to, you know, Lady Stark. I mean, it, it's like insult to injury, you know, throwing salt on a wound, you know, when she's already down. And then, and then we had another listener came in, uh, Michelle uh, said that, um, not Michelle, I'm sorry, uh, Hannah said that Brienne says that all good lords are dead during this scene. Do you agree with that as well? I mean, there's not many me to pick from, especially in, from her point of view. Like, she has no idea about Danny. That's over in Essos. So if you think about Westeros, there's nothing left. You know, all she can think of is the Stark children, the girls. Arya's gone. No idea with Sansa. You know, the Boltons are bad. They turned. Freys are shitty. You know, I mean, maybe people in the Riverlands, you know, you got. Uh, it's a stretch. The Blackfish and Edmere. I mean, that's a maybe, you know. Well, I mean, if you look at her resume, you know, her first lord that gives her a chance, stabbed in the back by the shadow, you know, and then Lady Stark, throat cut. I mean, anybody she, I mean, she was with Jamie and then, you know, his hand gets chopped off and then he gets, they get separated and she moves on her way. I mean, anybody she becomes fond to or attached, it's a bad situation coming their way, you know, and I hate to say it, the squire. I mean, he's smart. He needs to throw the deuces and just be like, more power to you. No, Pod's too 
you know, he's too loyal, you know, and where does he get to go? You know, better take your chances with somebody you just saw beat the kid, the hound. Well, I'm sorry. Pod's got a, uh, a rod that he can go, you know, maybe he can make a career out of, you know, sell his wares. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, uh, he's got a future, you know, you just gotta go seek it, my friend, you know, I mean, Brianne doesn't realize what she's missing. You know, (laughs) I mean, Uh, yeah, (laughs) he could head to Dorn. They love some boys down there probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Big Sean from Hattiesburg uh, said, love the episode and think the show is starting off with a subtle bang, but a good one. Uh, you agree with that? Yeah. Like most seasons, they got to start off very set up you know. And, yeah, I, I and, agree. I mean, uh, it was a great episode. I think it definitely accomplished what it was meant to do. It set up something. It had a it had a significant ending. It capped it off well, like we said with Man's Raider. Uh, it gave you a taste of a, a lot of the characters you desired to see and where they were going and where they were. Uh, I agree with that, um, no doubt. Um, let's see. We have Albert go Tigers. Uh, I think it is suicide for Tyrion to go to Marine. Thoughts? Uh, well, I can see why people would think that any Lannister getting within arm's reach of a Targaryen would be a bad idea. I mean, originally it was Tywin that basically double-crossed, you know, her father, and Jamie stabbed him in the back, and, you know, she's not very fond of Lannisters, obviously. Who is? Yeah, and not many people are, and she probably won't be aware of how Tyrion is actually a, you know, open-minded and, you know, great mind well, I think Tyrion's got a couple things going for him. Number one, he can go ahead and proclaim that I killed Tywin, okay, um, and that by me being here and in company of someone that is trying to do well, that that's going to put get him in good favor. But like you said, she could definitely look at him and go, Lannister, you know, you're Toast. dragon bait, you know. Absolutely. See you Luckily, you'll have Varys, hopefully, right beside him, you know, lubricating that relationship <laughs> uh, because it could go bad quick, you know, in a snap judgment, but Tyrion's got the gift of gab, you know, he could talk his way through most things, but, but he is down, down on himself, you know, down on his luck. So yeah, you know, I hear you. we'll see if he cheers up some and when he has a purpose. You well, know? yeah, I mean, he's a great character when he has purpose. Um, you know, whenever he puts his mind to something, the guy produces, you know, uh, and luckily he's, you know, he's had his brother to kind of bail him out on a few things, but overall there's, there's no doubt that there's a reason he's the highest paid actor and he's the most, you know, I think universally loved character on the show, um, for multiple reasons, you know, I think he's phenomenal. Um, Michelle writes that the Lancel confrontation slash confession was not what I remember from season one. Was there a conspiracy to kill Robert? Well, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier when we were watching the, doing the rundown. Um, it made me believe that. It made me believe that maybe somebody was pulling his strings. Maybe, do you know, even to the point of maybe Cersei was like, you know, you need to do this or someone else or, you know, nobody's out of the cat of mind situation. I mean, for all I know, Littlefinger was one possibly doing it. I just believe there's, there was a strong potential that based on what he showed us today in that confrontation. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I mean, if you just play off the canon that the show's given us, you know, Tyrion 
and others gave Lancel quite a bit of grief about the wine during the hunt. And then you have him approaching Cersei this episode and basically laying it out there. Hey, remember the wine before the hunt, all that stuff. And yeah, she played coy, but I think he, you know, made it pretty obvious that she was, had some hand in it, you know, and, you know, judging by having him in his, in her bed and doing her bidding, I'm sure he would have done whatever she asked. Right. I mean, him having that confrontation and saying, you need to choose the light or you need to think this way or else, or, you know, you'll suffer the consequences. You know, it's almost like, you know, what you made me do, you know, you need to have guilt and change the way you think and different things. That's kind of what made me have a little extra spice on that. Um, the, uh, that was kind of the last of the feedbacks. And you have one I, I want you to mention because it was kind of a criticism towards me. And I think it's necessary that people need to hear that, you know, I ain't perfect, but go ahead and tell them what that one said. Okay. Well, Miss Melanie had just a single note on the preview cast that my brother over here was a bit of a misogynist in a couple of his statements. Whatever. Uh, mainly calling Brianna Heifer, which she said is never a good idea. To call a woman for any reason, uh, Melanie, I uh, uh, I apologize. Slip of the tongue, and uh, you know uh, I didn't mean it negatively. I think I was just describing that you know her size and girth, and I wanted to say that was admirable to her her badassness and her skill as a warrior. And um, you know uh, I'm gonna leave it at that. You know because I'm afraid if I say any more, it might you know, I might start tarnishing myself even worse. Best not to incriminate yourself any further. Yes. Uh, but we appreciate the constructive criticism. I, absolutely. I absolutely, yeah. We're definitely not afraid to put it both sides out there, you know, not just positive but and so on. Uh, but, again, um, you know, that's pretty much all the feedback we have. Like I said, we're kind of a young cast, and so uh, we're always encouraging people to send us emails, you know, and some any tweets or anything like that. Uh, you know, we'll definitely give you props and put you on here, and I'd love to hear what you have to think or say or anything we want to, you know, to add to the show. We definitely want to do that. Um, yes, please. Please contact us at uh, bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com for your emails. Uh, you can also follow us at, at bleedtvpodcast. And we actually have a Facebook page, too. It's facebook.com slash bleedtvpodcast. So, yeah, leave us a comment. Drop us a, uh, you know, a, hey, believe it or not, drop us a review. You know, any reviews we can get positive, we would greatly appreciate it. iTunes, um, Stitcher. You know, we're, we're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. I think we're on TuneIn. We're on, a, we're on most all your popular sites. And uh, any any reviews, a thumbed up, anything you can put our way, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're really trying to get out there and do some more and just make it quality free entertainment and put it out there as you know a truly a fan-based show um before we call it a wrap i think we want to kind of do something we do a little differently is put in uh, what we call recommendations as a, a section of the show that uh you know we're unfortunately only able to do so many shows at a time you know we're both working stiffs so we've got families and different things uh, but there's a lot of great tv out there and so uh my brother's going to recommend one and i'm going to recommend one and then every week we'll try to put a little extra highlight on another one if we have an opportunity so uh, bro i'll let you start it off all right well this week, I'm going to start you off with a little show called Penny Dreadful. All right. Penny Dreadful is going to start back up pretty soon, but season one's out there, and I would recommend everybody to get caught up. 
I'm not suggesting that this is the best show on TV, but if you're into like the old school horror stuff, you know, with the vampires, the werewolves, the witches and the, you know, possessed and things of that nature, immortals. I just like the way they, this show is very dark and doesn't pull any punches. It's, it's very creepy. Uh, it's very easy to follow and it's very enjoyable. And I would, I would suggest everybody get caught up and be ready for season two to drop. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to do a show that's already ended. And so, you know, if you're one of my, like people like I am, I like to go back and binge watch if there's an episode. Cause I was one of the lucky people who got to binge watch Breaking Bad on my, uh, my brother's recommendation. But the show, and don't get me wrong, I'd love to, I'm going to recommend Breaking Bad down the road. But, uh, the show I'm going to recommend if you want to go back and, uh, meet the originality of Kurt Suter is The Shield. Um, there was five seasons of The Shield. Michael Chiklis was a, a badass. He uh, he set the tone for FX's cutting edge new way of doing things. That ep- that series was what created Sons of Anarchy and created uh, so many other shows and the level of intensity they went with. Uh, the Shield by itself, amazing. You know, a group of uh, good cops that were slash dirty who are toying with doing good deeds as well as being criminals at the same time and the internal struggle as well as the external struggles of that. Uh, it was just an amazing show, groundbreaking, and one of my all-time favorites. And um, I think if you're uh, one of those type, I think you'd really enjoy a kind of a good binge watch. You know, It's one of those shows in the first three or four episodes, if you're not hooked by then, you can go ahead and turn it off. Because, I mean, you're, it's, that kind of, it's that consistency throughout. And in my belief, the episodes only get better and they add big name cast like clean close and um, several other people. I I can't remember all the names um, that really add onto the show and strongly, strongly recommend it. And so that's the commish, right? Yeah. The the, the old commish. He ain't the commish on the shield. Let me tell you, let me (laughs) tell you, Uh, it's something. Um, But um, I think we're going to call that a wrap. We're going to do a section of predictions and semi, I would say, PG spoilers, you know, is what I call that rating on the second half. You know, we're not into the whole looking into everything and moving forward. And um, we did hear that, unfortunately, that, what did you say, four episodes four have episodes been leaked. Been uh, and we are not interested. Uh, we are going to wait uh, and do a week episode on HBO, give them their props. And, uh, and uh, you know, I encourage y'all to, you know, try to avoid that if you can. But if you're a diehard and roll with it, that's fine. But we're going to do our weekly cast. And uh, From what those. I understand, it's 40i standard def. It's very small. It might look decent on your phone. It's really, it's truly not worth wasting the time watching it. Don't sabotage the quality. Yeah, it, it's, it looks so good on a big screen TV. Don't waste your time. Don't, you know, it's such a well done show. You know, why, why not wait? Three weeks. Yeah, you want the best of the best, you know. Do do your do your do your part there. Don't fall into that piracy stuff, you know. I'm I'm not down with all that. But uh, like I said, we're gonna do as soon as we're gonna we're gonna wrap it, and and uh, we're gonna as soon as we come back, we're gonna kind of do some predictions based on the previews for that they gave us at the end of the episode, as well as uh, my brother's gonna kind of wrap up with some comparisons of books and different things, some small things. Like I said, very PG rated. And uh, but if uh, you want to call today. Um, 
that this is in the show, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you next week. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm Jake. And I'm Zach, and this is Bleed TV. Later. Okay, um, we're back. Um, I think we're going to go right into the predictions now. Again, Jake has read the books, but we are working with new material, and they're going in a different direction. So I think we both have some predictions that are not uh, what we can say we can relate to book information or anything else. Um, but if you want to look at a breakdown of what they gave us the preview, um, of course, it opens up and what uh, looks to be Dorn. And I'm only guessing this is uh, Oberyn's brother. Um, looks yes. to be older brother. Uh, the head of the castle, uh, and of course the comments made by his mistress um, that Oberyn's dead, and you don't have to remind me. But I thought the most interesting part was is that you know, my brother's been telling me about this character that might be in the show. It was this enormous black bodyguard, and he's kind of fondling or really enjoying holding this. In my opinion, looks like a spear with a blade at the end of it. Uh, my brother kind of said that there's a different weapon possibly in the book. In the books, it's a massive. X. X, yeah. That he is married to. Married to. Okay, so do you think that's that character? Oh, that's definitely him. No doubt. His name is Ario Hotep, I think. Ario Hotep. Man, where does he get these names? Anyway, but I thought that was the most interesting part, um, was seeing this guy, you know, caressing this weapon, you know, like, let me just have the chance. Let me slice somebody up or do something. Um, you know, and of course it quickly flashes. I mean, do you see anything else out of that little spot right there that kind of leads you to anything? Yeah, I mean, you you talking about just in the little Dorn space? Yeah, just in the little Dorn spot. Yeah, you you that's that's clearly Dorn Martell, who's Oberyn's brother, the Prince of Dorn. Really, he's pretty much the leader of Dorn. Uh, and yes, you, I think this is the mistress, and you may have spotted the Sand Snakes in there somewhere. I didn't see him. You know, I saw okay. him in the previews. I went back and went to that preview and kind of just slow-mo through the whole thing. Didn't see the sand snakes. Okay. Didn't. Yeah, no, there um, wasn't much else in there. No, then it goes right into where you see uh, Jamie open up this unique contraption that reveals a stuffed snake with a necklace. It looks like to be a necklace dangling from its mouth. And, of course, you hear him say, this is a threat, and Cersei says, I'm going to burn this, you know, burn anybody down. No, what you missed is... It's a necklace. It's Marcella's necklace. Oh, I figured as much. I figured it was a daughter's necklace. And that's what he says. He said, this is Marcella's. And she says, you know, if they harm her, I'll burn them to the ground or whatever. So we're definitely, we, which we kind of knew this was going to be coming. I mean, Oberyn's dead and her daughter's in Dorne. I mean, you can put two to two together. The average Joe can do that. So that's an obvious, obvious threat. Right. They have a pretty awesome hostage right now. Yeah. Uh, very, you know, very influential. Um, and then, of course, you see Arya dropped off by a single raft on this big, giant building that has one black door and one white door. And, of course, the guy says, the house of black and white. Yes. This is the house of the faceless men. Now, okay. this is those guys that are the assassins, right? This is where Jack and Agar is from. Jack okay. and Agar. Okay. Yeah, the guy on the rowboat is the captain, if I'm not mistaken, that... Brought her over to Bravos. Gave her the coin and makes the statement, you know. Right, Valimar Gulis. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, so you can definitely tell we're going to be going into those directions. We're going to hit those characters we didn't hit in the first episode. Right, it looks it, like. It looks like Arya's going to begin her 
training. Right. Um, then it goes to a scene where you see Pod standing what looks to be between two riders on a horse fighting. Uh, I went back and I slow-moed it pretty good. And one of the fighters is Brienne. And the other one is not a character I've ever seen before. I uh, couldn't, the face, you know, if you watched it at normal speed, you can't make out a face. But if you slow-mo, uh, it just looks like a 30-year-old guy, has a subtle beard. Um, and they're definitely going to attack. And Pod's just kind of standing in the way. Um, <clears throat> didn't get much from that other than evidently they have some troubles on their travels, wherever they're going. Right. They've mixed up Brand's story so much from the books that I, I can honestly predict without any knowledge, really. I'm honestly thinking that Pod might be in trouble. Like, this guy might be coming to, like, ride him down, and Brienne saves him. Now, the only thing I can think of, the person it could be, and not that I know their name, is when you see the uh, carriage carrying Littlefinger and Sansa, it's surrounded by, you know, mounted knights with the uh, eerie shields on. What color is the... It's like silver and white. And yeah, the, the the guy in the the cast there or the preview there it looked like a a light silver or a very pale blue was part of his colors. Right. That, so that could that could easily be because blue is good, you know, for the eerie. Um, so I I could imagine that maybe maybe she does catch the carriage, and they send this guy out. You know, you know, be gone with them, kill them whatever you know Littlefinger's not going to want anybody to know where he is so i can't imagine they want any uninvited guests yeah, no witnesses right um and then of course the last thing that flies through uh you see the dragon fly by and you know flames come out and then the game of thrones you know insignia comes across the screen and so on so you know uh, not the longest preview they've done in the past, but it definitely lets you know that the big dragon's a player. Right, looks like future. we're going to get a shot of Drogon. And then uh, that's the end of that, you know, the preview. Based on all that right there, I just, um, you know, there's not what I would call a lot of prediction other than I think Arya is going to finally meet her assassin, you know, and I think that story's going to play out. I think the dragon's going to show itself and do something because uh, you remember in the season five preview, it shows Tyrion uh, on a boat and a dragon over flies over, and you know there's this big awe moment. Um, you know, and you talked, you touched on that earlier. Uh, I think that's going to come to fruition. I think that um, the, I think that the Jamie and Cersei are going to have to devise a plan of you know. What do we do now that she's, you know, evidently being threatened or possibly held hostage? You know, how are the how are the people at Dorne, you know, I think Dorne's going to be a, become a player. I think Dorne's going to you're going to meet characters, you're going to see them, and they're going to un, unset up their part now. I think the next episode's definitely a setup. They're going to set up Dorne, they're going to set up Arya, they're going to set up, you know, Danny and probably the fighting pits and the dragon becoming a player. Um, I think we're going to definitely dive into those key areas more than anything. How many episodes do you think before Tyrion reaches Danny? I don't think long. I think when when he's the number one actor on the show, I expect him to have a pivotal part in every every episode. He might have one or two laps of the whole season, but I'm saying within the next within the next two episodes, he'll be well on his way or arriving, in okay. my opinion. Um, but you know, I also be seeing how the show is and. You're not trying to move too fast. 
it could be a situation where they stretch it out four to five episodes so that they can, you know, maybe he has some trials and tribulations of getting there. There's some, you know, things that hinder his travel or he comes in contact with some obstacles that weren't expected or, well, the travel's longer than you can might imagine. And so the, the, you know, as the old adage is, is that the trip is more fascinating than the destination. And, um, I think that could be a, it could make it where it's almost towards the end of the season before he actually reaches her. And I think that could be a cool play out. I think I'd be very interesting to see how many, how much dynamic he's going to be involved with before he gets to her or even if he does get to her. I think definitely he will get to her, but the fact that they give him a beard after a crate ride, basically just across the, you know, the little skinny part of the sea, you know, they're going to have to draw out his trip a little bit. Once again, to get the timeline kind of squared away, you know, right. they're, they're going to pull it out and, and who cares? You put him and Varys together. I don't care if they're just sitting down talking over some wine. I'm all for it. Yeah. I'm with you there. I mean, their dynamic is, is entertaining on its own. Right. You, you throw in some new landscapes and some new situations. It can only build from there. All right. That's about it for the preview, but I do have a couple book differences from this episode. Like I said, I'm not going to do any heavyweight spoilers. I I like to keep my brother Ignorant. As, as unsullied as possible. You know, he's... I love hearing his reactions. So, I'm not going to do any monster spoilers. But if you want to email me, you know, any spoilerly questions, just be sure to put on the heading of the email, uh, spoiler alert, or something like that. Just to warn my brother so he doesn't open the email. Okay. And I'll, I'll I'll sift through those. I'll respond to every email, no problem, because I love having the interaction. But I'm going to start out with uh, the very opening of the episode with Maggie the Frog. Now, in the books, it's actually three little girls that wander off to the, the troll house. And it does go down pretty much like it did with Cersei. But... Of the three little girls, once they get to the, the frog house, one girl freaks out and runs away. Cersei's best friend stays, and she has her future read as well. And her future is that she won't survive the night. And she tries to get Cersei to leave because she thinks she's pretty much full of shit. So, you know, Cersei stops her and says, no, 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 I'm going to stay. And then part of the furniture, you know, it does start the same way. She asks about marrying the prince, which is Rhaegar. She says no. She talks about the kids. In the books, I think it's actually 16 kids that Robert will have, and she'll have three. Crowns of gold, shrouds of gold. That's all the same. But after she gets to the part about the younger uh, queen showing up, more, more beautiful to strike her down, it also adds... When she's done drowning in her tears, she will awake with the hands of the, what's the word they use? Um, it's the Volantis word for little brother. The hands of the little brother around her throat. Okay. Now what this ends up doing is it shows why Cersei hates Tyrion so much. Okay. 
Because what ends up happening the following morning is they find Cersei's best friend drowned in the bottom of a well. Okay? Which makes her put some credence into, you know, the prophecy that she she read him. Yeah, it gives her credibility. Right. So... So if she considers little brother, she obviously considers Tyrion little brother. So if she assumes that she's going to die by Tyrion's hands... She's going to do everything in her power to break that prophecy through her whole life. You know, there's all these things. Remember with Oberyn talking about how she came in and pinched his cock until he screamed when he was a baby and stuff like that. It's why Cersei has such a bloodlust for Tyrion. You know, it was just a really neat thing. I think that would have been great to add to it, you know, to kind of give you some more, you know, background to it. Right. And, and the reason I saved this for the spoiler section, because I'm not sure... That maybe they won't add it later in another flashback. True. You know, I can't write that off that they won't because I don't know. But just because they showcased it this episode, I thought, you know what? I'm putting in the spoiler section. It's really cool. You know, that's one book difference from the show. Absolutely. And the thing of it is, is they could go a totally different direction, you know, based on the show. So, and then one more thing is Mance Raider. All right. In the books, Mance is put under the flyer, under the fire, and shot by Jon Snow to be merciful. But the next day, Jon Snow finds out that Mance is still alive and that Melisandre used the glamour to hide Mance as another wilding. And kill him in the place of Mance because she has other business with Mance, another king, you know, he's a king beyond the wall, but he's got King's blood, you know, he's useful, you know, so she wants to keep him around as well, which leads to this super, you know, ridiculous plot really for Mance's character that she ends up putting him into. I won't get into it because I don't know how much they're going to get into it later on in the season. But to see that he was in his right mind talking to Stannis before he was put to the fire, I think they killed him. I think he's done. I don't I don't think he's coming back or anything like that. I think he's done. From the interviews I've seen with him, he appears to be done too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I agree. I think it would be neat, you know, but like you said, if it's a ridiculous storyline in the book they put him on, maybe D&D decided that was the best spot for him to be in and still be true to the book. Without anything else. Yeah, there's a lot of... There's a lot of stuff with the magic that the show kind of dilutes a little bit. I think to keep your, you know, belief better, you know, or stronger in the show. Because if you get too magic-y, people kind of go, oh, well, you know, magic could do anything, you know. So I think they want to kind of lower Melisandre's abilities just a hair bit, you know, so she doesn't become so powerful. And then once again, you got to start knocking off some characters because you just can't keep up with all of them. Oh yeah. We're, we're neck deep in characters, man. Yeah. See, you know, starting to chop some of those off is, is a good thing. You know, just make storytelling so much easier. I mean, you think about this episode right here, think about the characters we didn't touch. We didn't touch Arya. We didn't touch, um, Ramsey or Greyjoy, Reek, whatever you want to call him. Um, several other characters 
nowhere. You know, of course, we already knew Hodor and LeBron and all of them we weren't going to see this year. Uh, but there's a lot of other people who had big parts or influential stories that we didn't even touch this episode. Yeah. It, now, the show has done an amazing job with the enormous cast. But getting towards the end of the show, you got to start chopping some people off. And the thing of it is, is they brought back Lanzel. They brought back his dad, Kevin Lannister, who had small parts, but they're kind of spearing them in because it appears that they're going to have bigger parts now, you know? So it's like, well, shit, here's two more people we got to keep up with, you know? So it's it's very good that they got to chop some heads off well, yeah, and to not bring that, some in. For every character, it seems like right now, for every character we do lose, we get three new ones. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I promise you, the books are a million times worse just loads of characters. Yeah, I mean, once we get into the Doran book, I mean, Doran part of this, I can only imagine how many characters. When we were talking about three new sisters, we're talking about the bodyguard, we're talking about the the leader, his mission. I mean, we're, to, we're talking about no, seven be or eight people right there. At least six named characters in Doran, easily. Yeah, and then now we're learning about the sparrows and their the religion, of, you know. I mean, that's going to have some more problems. We're, we're going to get more and more and more. Yeah, know? there's there's tons coming. I so, promise. Uh, but I'm excited, and uh, I I'm already can't wait. You know, we got less than seven days, and the next episode's coming out, and uh, I'm pretty pumped. But you know, it's just uh, the waiting game sucks. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. But uh, I think we're going to call it. That's the end of it. That's the end of it, guys. Hey, look, really appreciate y'all listening. Again, y'all can catch us at um, Bleed TV Podcast at Gmail. Love to hear your feedback, any suggestions you got. Uh, at Twitter, it's on the at Bleed TV Podcast. Uh, and of course, Facebook. You know, hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, give us a review. We really want to kind of keep building on this and go in the right direction. And look forward to talking to you guys. Um, but uh, let's, bro. You got anything else, man? I think that's it. No, that's it. I appreciate it, everybody. All right, guys. Well, I'm Zach. I'm out of here, man. I'm Jake. Y'all take it easy. Later.